Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. As we stay in a moment of worship, there's a word for someone today. And as I was praying through this sermon, it's on succeeding in spiritual warfare, taking ground. You know, there's nothing more debilitating, there's nothing more discouraging as a parent, maybe with your kids, as a pastor with your church, is when you see someone in the same cycle and going through the same thing over and over and over again. You keep going around the mountain. And today, we're looking at Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man who saw a problem, who saw something that no one else was willing to address, and God raised him up to rebuild. Rebuilding is never fun. You ever tried to address a mess that was left unattended, or there's been every, maybe it's so caught up in politics or what this person says versus that opinion or there's drama involved, you name the circumstance around why the thing doesn't get addressed or why the attention isn't put there. And today we're going to see truth of what Nehemiah did, how he identified his enemy and the Lord's command was to throw his enemy out, throw Tobiah out. And this morning, you just bow your head for a moment and connect with the Lord. I want you to identify an issue, a circumstance, a place in your life where there's a cycle, where there's a chain. And I want you just to ask the Holy Spirit, just whisper to him, say, let that thing break today. Jesus, I come to you again. And you need to know this about your God. He's not mad at you. He's not ashamed of you when you are in a cycle and you come to him. That's the very place for you to run to. But today, don't take your freedom as common. Deliverance is not for the put together. Deliverance is for the desperate. Desperation isn't a volume level. Desperation is a heart posture. And as we sing that this morning, you can have my heart, you can have my heart, you can have my heart. Do you really mean it? Can he have your spiritual life, your emotional life? Can he have the pieces of your soul that are broken that only he, the great physician, can put together? Jesus, we yield, we posture ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, we pray that the place in our life, the place in our walk with you, that place of a craving, of an appetite, of a passion, of a desire, the scripture says that if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Today, we wanna fulfill the call of God because we are available as Nehemiah was available. So we are available to the assignment you have for our life, for our family, for our children. It's a joy to be in your house. Let this not be another sermon, another church service. But God, you want to meet with us today. You want to break cycles off of our life. You want to take us not from just being delivered, but walking in dominion. 
And Father, I thank you for the testimonies these past few months that have come in of how you've touched your people, how you've brought freedom. God, what's gonna happen in 45 minutes from now can wait. Let us be attentive. Let us be focused. Let us eat of the word of God and be nourished. We can only give what we have. We can't give what we don't have. So today, we thank you that you're our portion. You're our obsession. You're our fascination. You're our desire. You're the one that we are glued to. Let us not be a Martha who's always busy around the things of God, but let us be a Mary in this moment that can sit in your feet and be filled, be refreshed, be renewed. One thing you ask of, can we give that thing to you? You can have our heart today, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Corey, stay with me for just a minute. You can be seated. And as you're seated, we're going to jump into the word today. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Good morning, by the way. Sometimes I can be a bulldozer and we'll jump right in too quick. But so thankful you're here. We've had a, a wonderful start to Zion Christian Academy and pray for your teachers as they get back in the swing of things. And it was such a joy to see our little Daniel in kindergarten and hearing about his first day. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of what I'm going to teach you today, I learned firsthand through uh, overseeing a construction project and dealing with doubt, dealing with where's the finances going to come from? How is God going to provide? You ever been in a place where you've stepped out in faith, but you don't know where the provision is going to come from? And when you're in that spiritual tension, when God's got your attention, he teaches you if you'll allow him. And so Nehemiah chapter four, we see Nehemiah's opposition. And if you ever step out to do anything for God, and please hear me, this is not starting a church, this is not building a church, though that is included. This can simply be you wanna raise a godly family. You wanna start a business. You want to uh, be present in your home. You want to have a good marriage. Anytime you wanna do something God's way, you're gonna be met with opposition. And if you don't know how to handle the opposition, that which God has assigned to your life will be at jeopardy. And I've seen, I've been in ministry long enough now to see Christians get zealous, where they get excited, they feel God touch them, but then the cares of life come in, the opposition comes in, and essentially can fold like a lawn chair because they've not known how to succeed in spiritual warfare. It's one thing to pray, it's one thing to take your authority, but are you just, blabbing at the wind, or are you being strategic in your prayer life? Are you taking the ground that God has for you? And in Nehemiah, we see a man of God who builds and battles. One of the most famous passages in the text is where he has a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. And I've come to find that an effective prayer life is you have a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, that you are building and that you are battling. This is what warfare looks like. Nehemiah chapter four, we see when the enemy rises against the build. It says, but so it happened. When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he was furious, he was indignant. 
and he mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Doesn't the enemy love to challenge your strength level? Makes you want to think that you don't have what God has for you or you haven't accomplished or taken some spiritual ground in your life. Notice right off the back, bat, the mockery, the voice of the enemy speaking this death and this curse over this project. Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones and the heaps of rubbish, the stones that are burned? Now, Tobiah, everybody say Tobiah. This is the spiritual principle we're going to look at today. And when we look at enemies or principalities in the Bible, though they've died, what motivated them still lives on. This is what we know as demonic influence. That as Christians, if you aren't in the game, if you aren't in the battle, if you're not in the war, if you don't know how to identify spiritual principalities and strongholds, you will get ran over by them, whether you, you want to or realize it or not. So we're gonna be looking at the spirit of Tobiah. So here's where we see Tobiah come into the picture. And there's gonna be, I call them the three stooges, Larry Curley Moe. There's Tobiah, Geshem, and Sanballat. And they come together and they devise a plan of how they're going to intimidate Nehemiah, how they're going to get under his skin, how they're gonna to try to cause confusion, chaos, doubt, oppression against the work of God. So Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Here, oh God, this is Nehemiah talking. So Nehemiah catches ear of this and Nehemiah, the first response is he prays. Prayer should never be your last resort. It should be your first response. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So Nehemiah prays and look at verse six. It says, so then we built. And let me tell you this. You've got to build and you've got to battle. You've got to pray and you've got to build. Don't just be so one-minded here that you let your hand go idle over here. You got to pray and you got to go and you got to get up and you got to get going. So he prays, and I love it because verse six, he then says, so then we built the wall. So they go right back to building. And it says the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. So everyone was in unity. They were of one mind, one heart, one accord. They knew the blueprint. They knew the mission. They were working toward it. Verse 7, so it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard of the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were be be beginning to be closed. And hear this, the enemy can't stand. You want to send the devil on the run? Start closing the gaps in your life. Start shoring some things up. Start going after the little foxes in your life. So they begin to go into panic mode because they see the gaps in the wall begin to be shored up, begin to be closed up, and they became very angry. You wanna make the enemy mad? Kill the gaps. And it says, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Tobiah is a spiritual enemy of confusion. Don't be double-minded. Know what God's called you to. Don't listen to the confusion. 
Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Spiritual warfare many a times looks like vigilance, watchfulness, attentiveness. You know your enemy. You're uh, engaged with him. You put your shoulders back. You square up. You look him in the eye, and you're not intimidated. What we're going to see today is Tobiah works on the outside first with the mission of getting to the inside. He works on the external with the mission of getting to the internal. Verse 10, it says, Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. We see a little discouragement. And our adversary said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dealt, dwelt near them, and they told us ten times, Whenever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts. Here's where you see the strategy of Nehemiah. Spiritual warfare looks like strategy. Spiritual warfare looks like strategy. So look at his strategy. It says he positioned men on the lower parts of the wall and the openings, and he set people according to their families and with their swords and with their spears and with their bows. And he looked and he arose and he said to the nobles, the leaders and the rest of people, do not be afraid of them. Can this be a word for somebody? Can you look at your enemy and say, I am not afraid of you? Can you look at your chain and say, that cycle, fear, is not my future? I'm walking in faith and there is deliverance. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Let me say this about this church and about this house, is we will preach unfiltered truth that will be done in grace, yes. But when you hear something that triggers you, something in the word of God that's a little deep, that's a little heavy, when you see pastor get a little passionate, it's not because we hate what is in front of us, as G.K. Chesterton said, it's because we are passionately in love with the generation and the line that is behind us. And if what's in front of us looks like a fight, the fight is not just to pick a fight for the sake of picking a fight. It is because we desperately love our children, our sons, and our daughters, and we will fight for their salvation. We will fight that they would know the truth, that this be a house that we are building, not just for your generation, but for the generations to come. Do you believe that today? <laughs> Nehemiah gets this. So don't be afraid. Remember the Lord and fight for the brethren, the sons, the daughters, the wives, and your houses. And in verse 15, it says, and it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall and everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half the servants worked at the construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Isn't that a good leadership team? You have your front line. You have your leaders that are encouraging, saying, remember God, you got this. We're getting strategy together. Go get your spears, get your bow, get to work, get going. Everyone's in the fight. And it says, every one of the builders had a sword girded to his side as he built. Oh, I love this. And the one who sounded the trumpet was besides me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive. You want to do something for God and you can make sense of it? It's probably not God because when God calls you to something, when he calls you to raise a family, when he calls you to um, build a godly house, 
it usually is great and it is extensive. It doesn't happen in a season. It doesn't happen in a moment. It is a lifetime. And it says that they were, they were separated far from one another on the wall. Whatever you hear, the sound of the trumpet rally to us there and our God will fight for us. This is a neat part of the story. Picture it is Nehemiah. Their biggest part of warfare was to get the trumpeter and the trumpeter and this crew of musicians um, would walk around the wall and would look for the gaps, look for the, the weak parts of the wall where the enemy would come in. And when they would see the enemy bear, uh, digging under the wall or trying to get over the wall or causing warfare on the wall, the trumpeter would play and all the warriors would hear the sound of that trumpet and they would rush to that point of contact and they would defeat the enemy. If you wanna see spiritual success in your life, get you some friends, get you a church. When they see the enemy raise hell in your life, they play the trumpet. They begin to encourage you and say, we're gonna get around you we're gonna fight for you, and we're not gonna allow the gaps in your life to bring defeat. Amen? And this is just my opening, so get ready. It says, so we labored in the work, and all the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. And at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be on guard at night and a working party by day. Don't put your sword down in the night. Go to bed with your boots on. Stay laced up. You go on vacation, don't put your sword down. You can't rest spiritually. You always have to stay attentive. Nehemiah knows the power of this, that in the dark and that in the night, the enemy can attack. So neither I, my brother, my servants, nor the men on guard who followed me took off our clothes except that everyone took them off for washing. So you're only allowed to take them off when they start to stink a little, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word today. God, as we jump in quickly to this, let us, let our spirit be invigorated. Let the person of Christ make us more like Jesus. Make us, let the Holy Spirit make us more like Jesus today. God, we are not content with the mundane. We are con not content with just the provision. Father, we thank you that you're leading this ministry, you're leading this church, you're leading this people into the promised land, into the milk and honey. God, we know that it doesn't come without warfare. Let us be a church that doesn't just pray at the wind, but as Pastor Joy says, I wanna be a specialist. I wanna hit the target. I wanna be on point. And when I'm on point and I know what enemy I'm fighting, then I will succeed. So we love you, Jesus. We thank you for the vision of this church. We thank you that this is harvest season. Let us get in the fight. Let us put our gear on. Let us armor up and let us be ready to shut the mouth of Tobiah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Corey. You can bring the lights up. No one falling asleep today. But I love this story. And what I love about it is Nehemiah rebuilt the wall in 52 days, something that should have taken 52 years, 52 months. God supernaturally provided where they could do it in 52 days. And what I want to teach us today is that when you um, decide to do something for God, when you decide to step out, Tobiah will quickly follow in the wake of what God's assigned, what God has called to your life. A few things I want, to, want you to see in scripture of how you understand 
how Tobiah works. And again, we're not talking, you're not going to see someone on the street named Tobiah and start getting in your ear. Again, this is a, the spirit behind what was working through Tobiah. In Nehemiah 2.10, we see that Tobiah was deeply disturbed and someone, that someone was willing to seek the well-being of Israel. You want to seek the well-being of the house of God, the well-being of your family, the well-being of the church, the enemy will be disturbed. In Nehemiah 2.19, we see that Tobiah laughed and mocked Nehemiah. In uh, Nehemiah 4.3, we see that he despised and reproached the work of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 4, 7 through 8, after progress was made, Tobiah conspired to bring great confusion to Israel. Nehemiah 6, 2, we see that he invited him to a meeting and intended to harm him. And of course, of course Nehemiah exercised wisdom, exercised discernment, didn't show up to the meeting. The harm never took place. Uh, Nehemiah 6, 3, we see that he hired false prophets to intimidate and to make him afraid. What you're going to see in the first point is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. That Tobiah attacks from the outside, but he seeks to move to the inside. He attacks from the outside and seeks to move to the inside. You'll find this about your spiritual enemy, Satan, is that he never actually can get his hands on you, but he can get his voice to you. How was Eve deceived in the garden? The first point of deception. It wasn't through the hand of the enemy. It was through the voice of the enemy. And sometimes you're going to find, you're going to deal with the voice of the enemy or your greatest enemy will be your enemy, your own voice, your own self-talk, your own uh, what goes on between your two ears. And if that part is compromised in your life, then the enemy just watch as you self-destruct, as you're self-tormented, as you're so wreaked in anxiety and depression. And so you've got to understand that Tobiah always attacks from the outside first with the goal to move to the inside. You look at the life of Jesus in the wilderness. He didn't attack Jesus with a sickness, with financial calamity, but what did he do? He began to fill the head of Jesus with his voice. In the same way that Jesus defeated the enemy, saying, it is written, it is written, it is written, is the way you will defeat the enemy when Tobiah begins to come and attack and get you in your fear, get you in your, in your vibes, in your feels, whatever you call it, whatever your truth is. When the enemy tries to make that more prevalent than the truth, than the word of God, that is the place where he first seeks to get you in doubt, Tobiah primarily works, and the spirit of Tobiah works in doubt, confusion, intimidation, and mockery. Doubt, confusion, intimidation, and mockery. And when you're experiencing this warfare, when you start doing something for God, when you begin to build your family, your marriage, your children, Tobiah will begin to come out of the woodwork and mock you remind you of your past, uh, tell you you can't do it, you're not good enough, do you realize how much you sinned last week? You, you put the label on it, uh, Tobiah will make sure that he reminds you of it, and he'll begin to mock what God begins to do in your life. And we've got to learn that as you deal with this, you've got to learn how to fight back against the voice, and you've got to learn, and this is what I found, when the enemy begins to attack you, You've got to cling to the assignment that God has for you. The way that you stay in your lane, you stay at your post, is there is a clinging to the assignment in the middle of the warfare. The point of the warfare is to get you off the assignment, to get you moving 
in the other direction, to get you self-deprecating, to get you only looking at your own pity, looking at your own woes, your own fears, and not looking at the assignment that God has put on your life. Don't leave what God has called you to do, that God has called us to rebuild and to do. I love this scripture, Nehemiah 6.3. This is where we see the heartbeat, the tone, the cadence of, of who Nehemiah was. So as the message was sent to him saying, this was his reply to Tobiah, to Sanballat, to all of his enemies, all his critics, all his haters, to the, the voice of discouragement, fear, doubt, unbelief. He says, I'm doing a great work and so that I cannot come down. Whatever you're building right now, whatever you're believing God for, when the enemy of discouragement comes, you need to remind the enemy that I am doing a great work and I cannot and I will not come down to what the enemy is trying to bring into my life. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Notice when the enemy comes, when the critic comes, you never go up to the enemy, you always go down to the enemy. But look, it says, but they sent me the message, not one time, not two times, three times, but four times, and what did he do? He kept his composure, he kept his cadence, and it says that he replied in the same manner. I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. I'm doing a great work. We love you, Rosie. Uh, but I can't come down. Nadia, in case you're doing a great work, don't come down. Keep bringing that baby to church. Um, man, I, I always say I'd rather hear a crying baby than no babies in church. So um, he says, I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. When you obsess with Tobiah, you come down from your position. The enemy wants to get that voice four times played over in your head and get you obsessed with it, what they said, what they did to you, get you to take it personal, and then it gets personal, then you get offended, and then from getting offended, you start to get bitter, and then you're ineffective, then you're useless, then you're of no good to anyone around you. You catch in today what Nehemiah, how he opposed the enemy here. And when the enemy, write this one down, when the enemy is consistent, the way you battle the consistency of the enemy is you stay persistent. When he's consistent, you stay persistent. You don't get out of your lane. You stay in your place. You fight the enemy. You keep your boots on. You think in, obviously, the game of football, right? The way that you move the chains, the way that you take ground, the way that you keep going is when you see someone coming, the opposing team, to tackle you, you don't drop the ball when you get afraid of the tackle, but you win by taking the tackles. So you've got to understand in, in the Christian life is you're, you're going to get oppressed. You're going to get tackled, but what you do with it is the key to how you move forward. It either takes you or you take it, and you take that, that force of the enemy, you turn it on its head, and you use it as progression in your life. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't drop the ball. What God's doing in your life. And I love it. You look at the end. Tobiah was just simply a footprint in the greater story. The, the enemy, Tobiah wants you to think that he is the only voice that matters. That his message is the one that everybody else in your life feels. But in reality, he's just the small footprint under your feet, the small little critic, the small stone, but he makes sure to get his voice first and for foremost in your life and be repetitive with the external attack. You gotta develop a mindset. You gotta develop 
the attitude. You've got to get a spine if you're going to serve God. If you're going to stand for something, it takes a spine. And we have a, a church culture and a church cycle today where pastors just baby people. Where church, nothing is tough. Nothing is required. Nothing is, is, is um, expected of anyone. It's just let's all have faith. And then you self-describe what you think faith is. And I'll self-describe what I think faith is. No, we, we have to be accountable to the word of God. And whatever this truth says, when you come to Christ, and a generation needs to hear this, is whatever your truth is, it has to be submitted to the truth. Yes, Jesus is your friend, praise God. But he is also your Lord. And when you come to Jesus, whatever your proclivities, your cravings, your appetites have to be submitted to the truth, to the way, and to the life. And the church said amen. That this is the message that the church has to receive and has to. We have to wrestle with this. And Nehemiah knew this, that you've got to have the mindset. You've got to prepare your hands for war. You've got to put on your armor. You've got to take that helmet of salvation. You've got to pick up your sword of the spirit. You've got to have the shield of faith in Jesus' name. Number two is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Um, Tobiah is alive through alliances. Tobiah is alive through alliances. You ever notice that when you have one enemy, when you have one critic, when you have one negative voice, that that voice has friends, that voice has company, that voice um, isn't going to just be by itself. It usually has to be um, brought together and has to have other alliances. What I find interesting about this alliance specifically is that in Nehemiah 13.4 is an unlikely alliance is made between Tobiah. It says this, it says, now before this, Eliashib, who was the priest, said, having authority over the storerooms of the house of God was allied with Tobiah. Why in the world would the priest be allied with the enemy? This makes you think, but this is how cunning and how crafty the enemy is, is he doesn't go after the alliances that really can't get him anywhere. He goes straight for the jugular and let's go after the priest who's over the money who's over the storehouse is what it says here, which means you're over the finances of the temple. And let's just not go after another governor, which Tobiah was a governor, but let's go after a priest in the house of God. And so it says that Eliashev makes uh, this alliance with Tobiah. And this is what I've come to find, is that when we have prolonged battles with the cycles we face, with the generational spirits we face, with uh, fighting off curses in Christ that we face is that when the prolonged battle goes on and on and you don't sense um, victory, you don't get to a place of where you've broken down wrong strongholds and you've built godly strongholds, is that which you used to fight, you begin to justify. You've been there before, you know, people that have. Maybe it's the lust that you fought, but you can't get over it, so you give into it, and you used to fight it, but now you justify that thing. And we live in a world today, in a church landscape today, that justifies what Scripture, what the Spirit of God commands you to fight. And so when you're in a prolonged battle, I don't know Eliashib's story, but somewhere along the way, when he looked at the, the years and the decades of rubbish that laid there, 
he lost hope. He didn't have vision. He could, maybe he didn't believe in what Nehemiah was doing, that they wouldn't get it done in 52 days. So he has to make sure that he's uh, close and, and, and got his alliances set up when this wall project fails. And so it says that he made this alliance with Tobiah. And we've got to be careful that we don't make alliances with that which we're equipped to attack. Don't make alliances with that which you're fighting and which you're equipped to attack. Don't make covenants with that which you are anointed to conquer. This is where the enemy gets a foothold in our lives and in our assignments. Don't get discouraged in the prolonged battle. Embrace what your identity is as a citizen of heaven, that we live by the constitution of the scripture. Again, not our own truth, not our own feelings, not a vibe, whatever it is. And here's what we have to do when you're fighting the enemy. You've got to recognize the alliances and the alignments that you've made along the way in your life. A part of deliverance is going deep into your life, even into your family line. And where have alliances and alignments been made that I need to come out of agreement with, that I need to reject on behalf of what I've been assigned to in the future of my family. Many of us, we don't take it serious. We just think I prayed this one little prayer or I'm a Christian and now everything is just deposited into my life. No, you have to go and get it. You've got to get in the quiet place, in the secret place. You either have a secret sin or you have a secret place. And your secret place has to be the strongest place in your life if you're going to walk in deliverance and walk in dominion. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. The truth of the world is not the truth that you fall to, that you give into. You can even, um, as I've studied through these things, um, when there are traumatic moments in your past, maybe earlier in, in your life, and when something traumatic happens, out of fear, not faith, out of fear, you can make an inner vow. Maybe you have an alcoholic parent and you saw how your dad, whenever he would get drunk, how he would cuss and fuss and even get abusive. And something within you said, I will never be like that. You put the circumstance to it and you make this inner vow and said, I will never be like them. Not out of necessarily making a vow to Christ and his ways, but out of a vow of fear. So what you do is you build strongholds out of fear to never be like that when not realizing the inner vow was done not in Christ but in fear, so now the enemy still has access while you're deceived. This is a deep place with God you have to go to get freedom from things that we say in traumatic moments in our life but, not, but have not surrendered it to Christ. What this looks like is, is that uh, whatever you're afraid of or whatever you don't want to become, your response is always fear to it, and it's not faith. So again, you've got to break some of these agreements. You've got to break even soul ties. Uh, alliances can look like soul ties. Soul ties can look like this. Past sexual relationships you've been on that have not been uh, done in, in the context of marriage or God's way, God's design. You have to get in the place of when you begin to serve God, and you've got to break soul ties with those things. Uh, the scripture teaches us this in Psalm 7-2. It says, Lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces that there is none to deliver. This is what a soul tie looks like. And this is what the enemy's goal is, is to take a piece of your life, 
to take a piece of your heart, to take a piece of your soul and connect it to everything and anything that is not Christ. He wants to take that past relationship, keep it connected over here. Imagine me putting a string there. And then he, want to take, he wants to take you over here and take that abusive moment in your life that you've never healed from, that you've never even told anyone about. He wants to create a soul tie and an attachment there. And then before you know it, there's a soul tie there. There's an attachment here. I'm aligned over here. And then I don't have, as scripture says, a full heart to worship God in spirit and in truth because I'm so attached to everything else. And so as you come out of alliance with the enemy, don't allow your spiritual enemy, Satan, that's what I love what it says here, that they tear me like a lion because the scripture says your enemy is like a lion seeking who he wants to devour, that he's got a prowl. He's got a cadence himself, and he wants to tear you apart. And he doesn't do it by just attacking your life. He gets you attached to everything that does not promote the life, the truth of God's word. And so if you are stuck, and again, you want to be unstuck, these are the places you've got to bring the spirit of God into to set you free of. And if you want to be a free person and you don't take your freedom lightly, and we can't take our freedom lightly as, as followers of Christ, that freedom is your portion. And you can't be afraid to have these conversations with yourself and to confess these things, to get them out, because Christ cannot heal what we conceal. The way that the enemy keeps alliances active in your life is he keeps it concealed. He says, keep it buried. Don't tell anyone. Don't talk to your spouse about it. Don't talk to your accountability about it. Just, just keep it concealed. And it's worked this long, it'll, it'll last. But the way you get freedom is you get it out into the light in the right places. You don't go blab it in a small group and expect someone to help you that you don't even know. You, you use privacy. I've seen a lot of people get hurt that way. The fastest route to a church hurt is you tell someone something in your past and it's the wrong person. Then gossip ensues and then everyone talks about it. So let's block that out. That's just, I'm having a little therapy with you right now because I want this to be healthy and good as we grow. So you gotta know the right avenues. You just can't word vomit and vent things in the wrong places because you'll actually create an even worse stronghold. So you've gotta be very careful with this and understand that it's not for everybody to know, but the right people to know. So he wants to grab a piece of your soul and connect it with everything. You even think of this in the, in the scriptures when Rachel was giving birth to Benjamin out of the, the pain of her childbirth that she names her son a son of my sorrow. And you've got to be careful that when you are going through a season of pain, a circumstance that you don't know how to overcome, it's easy to name it sorrow. It's easy to curse your blessing. It's easy to curse because of the pain that you feel. Now, Jonathan, her husband, knew the difference. He knew that the way that you overcome is not through cursing that which God is blessing. So Jonathan later in life actually changes the name of his son to the son of my right hand. Know this today, what you speak over your children matters. What you speak over the next generation is important. This is why we don't take it lightly what we do here at CCA, what we do with the next generation, that we are raising up Daniels, that when everybody bows, I pray that ZCA would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they rise, that they stand. When the trumpet bows and everyone bow to your own truth, bow to this flag, bow to this movement, bow to this parade, that someone somewhere would stand 
for the things of God. Amen? Amen. And let it be here. I've come to find as well, a quarter of the people will always hate you, a quarter of the people will support you, and the other qu quarter of people flat out won't care. So understand you're going to have critics anytime you do anything in life. You could be doing, you could be doing, I could be doing something where this entire church is saying, yes, you're building a new church sanctuary. This is something we're doing together. But no, there's a whole other group out here who is critiquing in a spirit of Tobiah. And they have an opinion for everything. They want to question it all. Being a family in ministry my whole life, I can tell you we've heard it all. And thank God that I, had, I saw Pastor Joyce's life and my parents' life of how they worked through that. And they didn't let the voice of Tobiah stop what you see today. If Tobiah would have had its way, we would not be here today. If you do anything for God, know that Tobiah will work, will move, will do. Number three is this. Tobiah was active in the absence of Nehemiah. A leader's greatest fear, a boss's greatest fear, a manager's greatest fear is when you go away on a three-day vacation, everything at work goes up in flames. You've been there before? Jim, I'm praying for you. So Tobiah was active in Nehemiah's absence. Nehemiah 13, 6 through 8. But during all this, it says, Nehemiah, I was not in Jerusalem. For the 32nd year of the king of Babylon, he had returned to the king. Then after certain days, he obtained leave from the king. And he came to Jerusalem and discovered, so in his absence, he went away. The, the project was completed. You know, things were delegated. Um, and then he comes to find this alliance with Eliashim and what he had done. So it says, he came to Jerusalem, discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah. And preparing a room, everyone say room. And preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it says in verse 8, and it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. What you see here is, in an alliance, the enemy isn't going after the whole house. He's not going after all your peace. He just needs a foothold just to get a, a room in your house. The enemy just needs one room, and he can begin the process of deconstructing you, of getting you out of peace, taking your joy, getting you in a place of where you start getting bitter and offended at everything. So we see that he just needed one house. And Tobiah knew where to go. He knew where to attack. He knew where the fragility would be. You go on and you read that even the Levites that were serving in the temple, that um, Tobiah and Elishab would bottleneck the finances where uh, they could not move forward in growth and they could not maintain what they had because all of that was bottlenecked. So he knew where to go to begin to sow seeds of doubt and discord within the temple. So Tobiah creates this confusion. He takes these alliances. But here's where you and I need to have a Nehemiah spirit. That when Tobiah gets a room in your house, when a demon begins to oppress you, when you begin to listen to your fear, can we be like Nehemiah here if you put verse 8 back up and say, I'm grieved bitterly. I'm getting mad. Some things are about to change. Some doors are about to get knocked down. And we're going to find what room has been compromised in my life. And here's what we need to know, too, is 
The way we open the door to the enemy is we play with sin. When we play with sin, doors get opened. I can't tell you what door it is, but you know the sin that you're playing with, and you can't allow the enemy to get access through living in sin, through playing with sin, because he will take the room and he will come in. And don't you see this too, that Nehemiah acted bitterly. And it says that Tobiah got so comfortable, he had his furniture there, he had his flat screen. I mean, he was lounging. He was, he was comfortable in what he had and the alliances that he's made. But look what Nehemiah did. He didn't know, go negotiate with the enemy. He didn't say, do you have uh, legal authority to be here? Can I see your paperwork? He goes in and he just starts chucking everything out of the house. And not just him. I believe it wasn't just the household goods, but he kicked Tobiah out at the same time. It was eviction on, on notice. Don't care, go. And this is how we have to be in our walk with God. Not, can I negotiate with it? Because if I negotiate with it, I forget that the enemy's strength is not in his stature and physique, it's in his voice. The enemy will always beat you in a verbal battle. But understand that your authority is always greater than his access. Your authority is greater than his access. But if I can encourage you pastorally, don't get into a verbal jousting match with the enemy. They'll gaslight you. They'll make you think it's your fault when it's their fault. Tobiah creates confusion. I can remember, and I'll close with this, and Corey, if you help me. Um, we were under three months to have to get the school done, and drywall was barely up, and I was just sweating long nights, long days, and prayerfully everyone comes through and we need contractors to put in the extra work to get the school building ready and finished and unlike church you know if, if it was the church building we can prolong it but you have a start date for school and you got to be ready to go then or we're going to have to reject hundreds of, of students we won't be ready I can remember that in when I was feeling a little anxiety a little fear I was upstairs in a classroom and I was like oh maybe I need to bring somebody else in who's done this before and they can bring some help to it and they can, you know, give some knowledge and get some guys going. And there was another contractor that was there. And um, after I had pretty much said, you know what, I don't think this is going to work and we're, we're going to be able to get this done by the time school starts. I'm confident in this. The other contractor looked at me square in the eyes and he said, you will not get this done before school starts. I guarantee it. You need us. And I can remember, I looked back at him and said, we will get this done before school starts, whether you're a part of this or not. And it wasn't the person, but I, in the moment I realized it was a spirit of intimidation and discouragement to get me to get into a potential alliance with someone that was never intended to be. And so you better believe it, we put our head down. A lot of volunteers came in and helped. Um, all the contractors, we got a plan in place. And literally, the day before school started, we got our permit to, to, where we could welcome the kids in. And uh, that's how good God is. And I'm telling you today, as we look to the future, as we look south, and we see the territory, the ground that God brought us over there, it didn't come without succeeding in spiritual warfare. Know today what we're stepping into over here. Tobiah's mouth will be running. You'll be at a restaurant. Somebody will find you go to this church. 
Tobiah will come out of the woodwork just to get a seed in your mind, just to get you thinking a certain way. This is how this stuff works. And what I'm asking of our church and our school is that you shut Tobiah's mouth. You throw Tobiah out. You don't let the spirit of what you've been called to. Again, this isn't just the church. I'm using the church as an example. This is what I'm a part of. But in your business, with your family, with your marriage, when you start to step out, you start to operate in dominion over what you've been delivered from, the enemy will always be quick to get in your mind, to get in your head, because he wants to keep you in the comfortability of the cycle. And so what God has purposed in our life, what he's purposed in your life, you've got to understand that you first need to assess the situation. And I love this about Nehemiah because it says before he ever went to start the building project, I believe it's Nehemiah um, 2.13. You can look it up later. It says, by night I went out examining the walls of Jerusalem. So before he put the plan in place, it says he went in at night when everybody else is asleep and he began to look at all the rubble and the rubbish and he began to pray. He began to assess what the damage was and get a plan in place. You know, the enemy is, is afraid of what plan you put in place. He wants to keep you discombobulated and, and out of sync and, and double-minded and confused and intimidated. And if he can keep you in that space and in that place, you're gonna be ineffective. But I feel there's some of us here today that if you can get the plan in place, if you can assess your mess, and then begin to get a plan. That's what Nehemiah had to do. Before he ever got the plan, there had to be an assessment. And then even in Nehemiah 1.6, we see that he confesses. He confesses the sin of his people. He takes ownership that, God, we have neglected this. What you've called us to, we have turned from. Could have been five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. It doesn't matter the timeline with God. You can still come to him and make right what was wrong years ago. So it says he confesses. And it says that I confess the sins that we have committed against you. What I wanna encourage you today, if you just bow your head for a moment and allow the spirit of Jesus to speak to you, is can we be like Nehemiah and get grieved at our sin? Get grieved at the injustice around us, get grieved when we see evil having its way, wickedness on the, the prowl, when we see demons trying to oppress our family, our children, our, our grandchildren. Today I'm telling you, by the authority of God's word, if you will get bitter against the enemy, not bitter against God, you will succeed in spiritual warfare. When you get a zeal for his house, when you get a zeal for his call, when you cling to your assignment, when you break alliances, when you get out of covenants and get address those inner vows you made in fear, and when you understand that the enemy, what he's doing externally is to get you internally, the tide will change, the shift will occur, the breakthrough will be imminent. So Jesus, we ask you right now in faith, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is here. We ask that you would break bondage, you would break the chains, you would break wrong mindsets. We throw them out of our lives. We throw the fear out. 
These are the household goods that need to go. The fear, the shame, the pain, the trauma, the abuse, the inner me that says you'll never be able to do it. You'll never get out of debt. You'll never have a healthy marriage. You'll never succeed in that business. Whatever it is, we throw it out because it's from the pits of hell. And God, as that gets thrown out, as the temple gets cleansed, we ask that love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, that we be led by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, cleanse us. We partner with you. We don't want to grieve you. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not intoxicated by the things of this world. The next generation is dependent upon us not playing with sin. Let's give them a head start. Let's deal with our demons so that they don't have to. Jesus, let us not be uh, sidetracked and let, let us not get uh, fall to the disguise that the enemy puts on things. When we come out of darkness and into the kingdom of light, we want everything that the light speaks of. We want you to be the city on the hill in our lives. Not our ego, not our pride, not look what this church has done or what this ministry has done. We want people to see Jesus in our lives, to see his grace, his mercy, but also to see the fire in his eyes, that he doesn't play with souls. He doesn't play with people. He doesn't manipulate, but he is after our hearts. He is after wooing us and drawing us by his spirit. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.